What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Keith. Before we get to this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three has a Kickstarter going on right now. Symphony of Madness is the fourth and final arc of the Kadoja story that has been more than a decade in the making. This is the penultimate issue, and we have some really cool action and, of course, some cool horror and cosmic madness in there for you as we build to the grand finale. In addition to all the tiers, whether you've been with Kadoja for a long time or are just starting out, you can get the whole story. You can dab your toe in the water with one issue, and you can choose what cover you'd like to get. There's a standard cover designed by me, a variant by Carlo Romero, and the Making Comics Edition with a cover by your boy Scott Lost. So head on over to Kickstarter, look for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three, and then pick the tier you like. Let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Kadoja, and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Lawson. I'm finishing my sip of beer. Um, and I also <laughs> draw the second shift, Wanderers of Milisanda, and Paradise Hills for the Accidental Aliens. Oh, and I created them too. Yeah, you created them too. And and what I like is you you decided to just sort of, you know... Jump it a little bit there. Usually we talk about what we do and then it's like, oh, by the way, we drink beer. You're like, fuck that. <laughs> beer first. <laughs> then all the shit I do. Then all the shit I do. So speaking of that, speaking of our, our beer forward approach this episode, uh, what are you drinking? Well, I am drinking apparently the family owned, operated and argued over Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest Festa beer. And it is 6% ABV. It is only a 12-ouncer, so I'll be double-dipping because I have a feeling I'm going to want another beer. And so I just went with a classic uh, Sapporo premium beer. So two beers. Two beers for the price of one today in terms of your ratings, huh? All right. I told Scott this before we started recording. I, I, I went for familiarity in terms of ABV. Um, because there was a certain ABV I wanted, and this was really the only beer I had that was sort of in that zone. So I'm drinking the Speculoos Cookie Butter Beer again. I bought a four-pack the last time. This is just the second can. So we know what it is. It's the uh, Imperial Golden Ale with toasted coconut, vanilla beans, and natural flavors. This is the beer you get through Trader Joe's that has hints of their cookie butter, supposedly. And uh, it's 16.9 ounces at 9.5% alcohol. So... I was more in the mood for a stout than this, but I'm going to rock with this because we're getting close to stout season and I'll probably just be drinking those every week once the weather starts to turn colder. So why not have this? Why not get a nice punch of an ABV from my troubles as well? Yeah, a little little peek behind the curtain there. After he told me what he was having, I was like, shit, should I drink my other Speculus too? But I had already popped the top on the on the Oktoberfest. So um, yeah. this is a, what did I say, 6% and then that's a 9? That's just a power rating I'm, I just can't hit. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, I want to be somewhat functional after this, so yeah, I decided to, against it. Yeah, yeah, but but fortunately, we've arrived at what the first thing you did this week was. 
So let's talk about that, man. What was it? All right, still on the Drawtober kick. This was a two and a half week page. Uh, no, flip that. Two and a half page week, if you will. Okay, yeah. And um, that is because we are recording a little bit earlier in the week. This is a couple, like like two? Yeah, two days earlier. Two days earlier because mm-hmm. of I had a, my workshop schedule got flipped a little bit. So you were cool enough to, uh, to rock this a couple days earlier than when we normally do. Yeah, so I think... In a couple of days, we'll hit that three-pager, but as of this recording, it's a two-and-a-half-page week. I did two full, two full pages of pencils and inks, and um, I finished up the pencils for the third page last night, and I actually started a little bit of the, the inking uh, yesterday and today. But today's been normally wood. It's just been um, kind of all over the place today, so week. Uh, check mark that I want every single week, and I'll definitely hit that by Thursday. But as of this recording, it's Tuesday, so we're there. We're there. I, I would say I have ten percent of the inking done. Um, you know, so like we're moving, and I got two days to do that. More than likely, between the rest of today and tomorrow, I'll knock that out for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, question: When you get done with this drop October thing? On November 1st, are you going right into another comic, and do you expect your productivity to be three pages a week on that comic? You know, I would really love that. As soon as I wrap this up, whenever that is, it I'm interested if the productivity will continue at that height, because what's going to happen is, number one, I have to finish the cover for this. I haven't designed it yet, but I have a pretty clear vision of what the cover is going to look like. Um, mm-hmm. Stat Boy Steve kind of gave me an idea that he wanted, he was wondering like, hey, would this be cool to throw in the book? I know you kind of have it filled up. And and I was like, yeah, this year, there's no way I can get that done. The page count is where I wanted. It's at 23 pages. But I'll tell you what, that's a pretty cool cover idea. And that's what the cover is going to be. So Steve actually had the idea for this cover. Um, I forgot exactly what he said, but it triggered a clear vision of what I wanted to do for the cover. And mm-hmm. so as soon as I finish the days of this, I will hop onto that. And as of right now, I have 16 pages done, seven to go. So okay. yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're movers and shakers over here. Things are moving along. So yeah, as soon as I knock that cover out, uh, then I'll be done with this part of it. There might be a couple of easy pages that I do the flatting on just to save a little bit of dough. But right after that, then I'll have to um, start the Wanders of Melisanda, the second half of that issue. If you guys remember in 2022, that was my Drawtober project for that year, Wanders number four. And that was about a nine pages worth of interior art, like all mm-hmm. said and done with all those panels. So that means... We have at least 11 pages to 13 pages that we need to fill out for the rest of that issue. And then so it's, you know, going over it with Ed and trying to figure out what we're going to do. And honestly, going back to last week's episode, we need to lay the skeleton down for the rest of the series. So this is supposed to be a maxi series. And I haven't really laid that out and gave it as much thought as it needs to have. So I think that's going to slow down the process, the matter of figuring that stuff and then doing the thumbnails. And then so we'll see between that and when I start drawing the project, we'll see how fast my productivity is. I'm just worried that time in between is going to take a little bit of speed off the fastball. Mm -hmm. That's okay though. I mean, it's not taking speed off the fastball. You have to do it. 
it's it's just the kind of shit you have to do. Totally. So, you know, I mean, again, it's it's the whole, you know, Abe Lincoln line, right? Give me, what is it? Give me an hour to chop the tree and I'll spend 90% of it eating people's brains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was undead at the time when he gave that quote. I think there's another version of it when he's alive that he says he spends 90% of the time sharpening the axe. And then there's the brains thing. Once he was undead and gave his undead address as you know, president of the United States. We elected him in. Look, it's our country. We're the ones who elected an undead Abe Lincoln in to eat people's brains. This He's is not just the history. only one. The trend continues. Bunch of this dead is just <laughs> history. Yeah, we like we like undead. No, that that's cool to hear. I mean, I, I think that's pretty that's pretty sort of what I expected, right? That that you you hope you're going to be able to attain this this page rate, but different comics probably come with different. Um, expectations in terms of time right so we'll hey we'll track it here on the podcast and that's going to be fun to do yeah it'll be interesting and you know when i say a little bit of speed off the fastball i just mean the time that has to be taken in between the projects and it's just like i'm kind of in the groove right now it's like you're Mm -hmm. playing double dutch double dutch and and you're like you, you know you're you're bopping in and out and you're weaving and you're doing all these cool moves you're just in the flow of it and so when you got to do that other stuff like you said it's absolutely mandatory you have to do it i'm just worried that part of it will kind of take me out of that groove but hey we'll see like historically wanders is a bit of a faster project to draw than any kind of second shift or paradise hills in this case it's just more of an organic book and Mm -hmm. things seem to flow a little bit freer so i'm curious if once i get back into the groove if saying if i you know, get out of it. Um, it'll be even faster than second shift. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, all, all out there in the future for us. So I, I have a couple topics. They're all, they're all different. I have as many as four, I think that I should probably talk about cause it's been a pretty good week for me. And, um, so let's go with the one that's sort of, you know, related to what you just talked about, which is about being in a flow, being in a groove and in the spirit of being in a flow and being in a groove. Um, I, I didn't have much to do in terms of the time travel uh, issue three comic script. So I had finished that last week. Um, but what I had done was, you know, as I've mentioned, I think on some of the recent episodes, I didn't write that on a computer. I wrote it in like a notes app, basically. So I was just sitting there on an airplane for most of writing the script and and typing it into a notes uh, application. So I had to sit down and do some like sort of mechanical work on it, which was getting it into an actual script format. So it wasn't very brain draining. I mean, I'm just cutting pasting and then doing some formatting, but the formatting is important. I did do like mild edits as I was going through because you can't help but notice the things that need some help. And then I'm happy to say that what I just did was I printed out all three issues. And right before we recorded this podcast, I went ahead and read all three front to back. And uh, and there are mild edits that I'm going to put in there. So I, I just printed them out and took a red pen because that's one of my favorite tactile things to do when it comes to reading a script. Just mark it up with a red pen, any changes I want. And uh, and then I also had to make some notes about within the comics and I'll make some changes about the three issues and how they relate to one another. So um, so, yeah, next up is going to be I'm going to sit down. I'm going to you know, type in those notes. I'm going to have three finished scripts and then I'm going to send them to you and Gary and you can read them and you can tell me what you think. You know, um, again, I'm very, very excited about this comic. It's different. It's 
much harder to digest than any comic I'm, I've read, I've done before. So I'll, I'll give you those caveats when I send it off to you. I mean, I'm assuming you're interested in reading it. You've volunteered yeah, your services before. And uh, and yeah, man, but I mean, talk about a flow. You know, this is, that's the third issue. We're sitting here in uh, early October as we record this. And this is something I thought of on the way to Fan Fusion. Correct, back yes. in back in uh, in late May, so from inception to three comics done, uh, but within I don't know four and a half months, something like that. So on a, on an indie vibe, that is incredibly productive. That is the fastest I've ever done anything like this. So it's it's fun, and uh, it was it was great. And now I can edit it and then just sort of put it on the what I, I was going to say I can put it on the shelf. But what I'm really going to do is I'm buying time for for this to just get edited and honed and perfected because I'm not even going to be able to pay for the artist on this until probably six months from now at the earliest, something like that. But that's okay. It's it's waiting and it's something that that I've slotted for, you know, out there in 2025 or maybe maybe 2024, just depending on how much I want to space the issues apart. Again, these three, I intend for them to come out very quick on top of each other, which would mean that they're they're going to come out way further in the future instead of my usual cadence and your usual cadence, which is like release an issue of series A release another issue of series B three, four months later, then maybe come back to series A a total of eight months after the last issue, maybe a little more than that, right? So that's how we like to progress through our stuff, just pushing everything forward at once. But as as I may have mentioned, um, you know, the success of Animals and the fact that there's a long layoff between those two issues has made me rethink how I want to release these. So anyway, um, I'm excited and... Uh, and, and I, I read through it and I, I still got a lot of that enthusiasm from it. And, you know, it's weird. Um, and, and again, I will give those caveats to you guys that it, it's intended to be a little weird and it's intended to be a little dense. And uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question to you. Um, one, I am excited to read it because, like you said, this is a project that you've most been excited about since the very first issue of Kadoja. So that has like a a uh, high mountain to climb as far as expect expectations go. So how'd you feel about it after you read it? Was it, like you said, you, you still got some of those feels. Did you feel like you hit everything you wanted to hit? Like, you're like, yeah, this is exactly what I was picturing. Like, this is kind of what I envisioned. Did, did you nail those marks? I think so. I did. I did. And and to your point, it's fun to look back on the entire process and uh, and feel that way. Because the, you know, while staying vague, the interesting thing about the three issues is they get less weird with each one. And and I think that's important for the way that I am choosing to tell this story. In a lot of ways, it, it vibes with the way a lot of people will tell stories, be it movies, TV series, or whatever. You, you come out and you throw a lot of funky things at people. And then, but then, then the story starts to take shape by, you know, the first act turning point, maybe halfway, maybe something like that. And then you, you realize where you're driving to at the end. And then the end has to have some resolution to it. And uh, I think you'll, I think in a weird way, this is most noticeable in things like comedy movies, because in comedy movies, what you'll see a lot of is the first 40, the first half will just be laughs galore. 
it's just so fucking funny. And then the second half of a lot of comedy movies will will tone down the yucks a little bit because they actually have a story they want to you know drive to here. They can't just do nothing but slapstick or, or funny, you know, scene driven comedy the whole time. I mean, some of my favorite comedies, I think Anchorman, things like that. They yeah. Wedding Wedding Crashers, um, while not one of my favorite movies, I think is a great example of that, where like the first half of it is just a riot, but then you get down to the plot. So Wedding Crashers may be a bit too extreme when I think of that, but any comedy movie is always gonna, you know, they're gonna have to tone down the laughs for the second half so that they can drive the plot home and do all the things they want to do with their characters. And I think this, in some ways, was no exception. So it was fun to read through. I I get the most kicks out of the first issue, which is the weirdest. But I think the third issue is the one that's the most meaningful. So, um, so yeah, man, I'm I'm, I'm pleased. And... uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm eager to see what you guys think about it. You know, um, I, <laughs> you're not going to tell me this no matter what, but it'd be hilarious if you got the script and you're like, this is fucking weird or this sucks <laughs> or, or something like that. Right. Like, like that's okay. But, but know that, that on some level that's okay. You know, the, the goal is to have the right level of weird and accessible be balanced in the mix there so that it's weird, but you enjoy the weird. But, but yes, I mean, if, if I'm reading through the script already, it definitely ranks up there with some of the weirder comics that I enjoy. And uh, and that it's, it's the comic I wanted to do, man. So, hey, we we are nothing as artists if we do not follow our muse and, and make ourselves happy first. And so to answer your question, I, I am happy with how this came out. And now let's get some other, some other eyes on it, see what people say, and see if I can uh, make some changes that make it even better. Right on, man. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm. Thank you for prepping me, knowing that it's going to be weird as fuck, and uh, I'm all right with that. I like to read weird stuff from time to time, so this will be one of those one of those weird things. Good, man. Good, good. Uh, so your second thing. What what was the second thing you did this week? All right. So I sent uh, eight pages over to the flatter for flatting. Um, it was he hit me up and what he needed to do. He was like, Hey, do you have any pages for me? Because I've been sitting on these for, I don't know, like three weeks now. Like I'm, like I said, I am, uh, what did I have written down? I already erased it. I think I have, I have 16 pages in already. And so I have 16 pages here that my flatter can color while I'm working on the other pages. And that'll just keep the project flowing and moving consistently forward without having too much lag time. And so, I've been meaning to do this. I think I mentioned this maybe over a month ago is like, hey, I want to send my pages as soon as I finish them over to my flatter and then I can get those over to Joaquin while he still has time. So that way, by the time the Kickstarter is ready to jump up, you know, on, uh, you know, to go live, most of the book will be done. It'll be completely finished. And so, yeah, thankfully, my flatter had messaged me and asked for more work and I had that work for him. So that made me get off my ass and actually send some stuff over to him. Now there were a few pages where I was like, well, I think I kind of want to tweak this before I send this over to him. And there were other pages where like, this is simple enough to where I think I'm going to flat this and save myself the 10 bucks. And, um, you know, not too many of those. There is a lot of backgrounds in these pages and which is even taking up more time, like like the overall time. But hey, I'm I'm getting faster at backgrounds. They're not so much the the snakes in the birding building like they used to be, and uh, they're f- they're a little more free flowing than you know, like like I said, they used to be. So 
it makes me want to work on them and just kind of fill the page out more. But there's definitely more that are more filled up than others. And that'll be, uh, it's just like, okay, that's going to be a quick one. That'll probably take me 30 minutes or less to do. I think I'll just do that myself. I'm, you know, being faster now. Um, that time is worth me doing. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. like I'm basically paying everyone, you know, like to get these books done. It's like, I pay the colorist, I pay, pay the flatter, you know, Ed gets paid like right after the Kickstarter. Um, but you know, the flatter and the colorist, like Joaquin, I pay these guys up front. you know, these are out of my pocket. So, uh, just want to get that stuff done, cut a little bit of corners where I can, but, uh, uh, yeah. So got those pages to him. And right before I did that, I was like, I need to lock down the color scheme for this villain. Mm-hmm. All right, time to go to the brain trust. You know, I hit you and Gary up, and I also have my comics uh, comics chat with some comic buddies that are not creators. They're, they're just dudes that love comics. And so I hit them up. I said, hey, A or B. And so we were going through this process of who liked what. It was a dead heat. It was three and three for the two color schemes that I like, the two colorways. And I actually had no opinion on this. I was like, I like both of them equally. I like them Mm -hmm. for different reasons. And, you know, I laid that out for you and Gary. And Gary came up with the idea. Look at Gary. See, this is is why Gary's a savant. He always has a a good thing to throw in there to kind of push you one way or the other. And he was like, Mm -hmm. hey, why don't you combine these two colors? Those are the dominating factors of these two colorways maybe put those together and and see if that kind of unites the front and it did everyone was like yeah i like that i like that a lot and i was like hell yeah i like that too as soon as he said Mm -hmm. it and as soon as i did i was like this was the move for sure so Mm -hmm. um yeah got that implemented and i sent that over to my flatter you know like he does the job of the flatter is basically to get everything different colors he doesn't care what colors he's putting down because his job is basically just to make them different shades but the one thing i did ask him to do and i've always asked him to do is make sure you color the characters their color color scheme i'm like mm-hmm. that's the one thing i want you to do everything else i don't care like i'll adjust it joaquin will adjust it and uh but if you can at least get the characters right and that's just mm-hmm. one less thing that i have to do and he gladly does it so that's all good shit I was happy to be part of it as well. Um, I was in the middle of stuff, so it was like, okay, this, oh, wow, this. And then you just kept on going. It was like it was like going to the eye doctor, A <laughs> yeah. or B. And then you're like, B. And then they're like, B or C. And then you get up to fucking <laughs> X, and you're like, for fuck's sake, man, when is this going to be over? But you end up with a pretty killer pair of glasses if you're answering the questions right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, uh, so yeah, it, it was good. It was good. But, um, but yeah, I, I wonder, I was thinking this just now, like, I, do you think Gary winces every time we refer to him as a savant? I feel like he does. He does. He has to, right? And like, it's, it's a little thing I like to do because it makes me laugh a little bit. Exactly. Because you know that when this I know airs, it bugs him. he's going to get to this, he's going to be like, ugh. <laughs> I know it bugs him, but it's also the truth. That's the thing is, like, it's true. I know you don't like to hear it, Gary, but it's true. And, like, uh, like that's the one thing I got up on you is if you give me a compliment, I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary, he's so good at what he does and he doesn't want to hear it. But yeah, it's, uh, he, he yeah, it's like too bad, buddy. Too bad. Yeah. yeah. Life sucks. Life sucks. Okay. So, um, so I- I'm going to. 
I'm going to stay in. I, I, you know, this is great because this allows me to sort of parallel your second thing with my second thing, which is, you know, this is long history to people that have hopefully backed the Kickstarter by now for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. Um, and if not, hey, there's some time. Get out there and do it. Um, you can, if, if you've never heard of it, you can buy all of them. If you just need the current issue, you can grab that one. We have three different covers, including the one that I did that I'm about to talk about. And of course, the one that your boy, Scott Lost, did as well for the Making Comics edition. But uh, over the weekend, I finished my cover to uh, Kadoja Symphony of Madness. So what I do is I just do a uh, kind of collage and I try to find the right thing. And uh, and yeah, I just consulted you and Gary um, and then also sort of Mike and Kevin in the background for what the best cover to use was. And so when I threw, uh, without going too much into detail, I threw a first cover out and and the response was sort of muted. I think you you had a warmer response to it than Gary, but Gary had an interesting point about it. It felt unfinished. And I think the reason it felt unfinished was because of the interior art that I chose to use. So what I did was I changed the interior art to a different look, and that is the final look. It's the tentacle head sort of looking directly at you, the reader, from the cover. And and then so that the first part was settled, and then I played around with um, the second part. And so I sort of had, you know, a, a I had an image. And, and there was one that I really liked. And this is one of those things of we talk about how you, the creator, always have the right to break the tie or give yourself as many votes as possible, as needed. But what was fascinating was the one that I loved, like no one else liked. So that's one of those cases where I had to listen to everybody else and be like, okay, maybe my sensibilities are just off here because I'm, I'm consulting people I trust and none of them like this version as much as I did. So what I had done was I had created this, you know, I used this cool image and I had sort of, um, uh, what's it called? I had sort of made it transparent. So it kind of hid in the background and had a cool, ominous feel to it. I thought it was really neat, but in general, the consent, I mean, the consensus, everyone but me, was that it would look better with a silhouette. And I think one of the reasons is because silhouettes are the have been the nature of the first two issues. The first two covers have both had silhouettes on them, so this gets to be more consistent with that. So you actually, and then you had a really good idea on sort of combining the um, combining the image from one cover with the silhouette I'd used from my first attempt back there, and that's what the final cover ended up being. So it ended up being the silhouette from the initial cover I did, but the new background image, and then you were able to do a lot of help out on composition. So as much as Gary helped you for your character color, um, you were a huge contributor in uh, developing the design of this cover. Yeah, I I liked the... The art, uh, the the image that you chose for the art, it was like, you know, Gary had mentioned that it looked unfinished, and honestly, it's the style of the artist. You know, it was like um, um, the art was different than the first couple of issues, and so it's like, yeah, but that's that guy's style. So I, I, it, I was a little more forgiving with it because that's how that guy draws. But mm-hmm. the other image that you picked from him was way stronger. Like when you you showed it to us, I was like, yeah, that, that image is way better. I, I prefer mm-hmm. that. The design of that character is fucking awesome. So yeah. uh, anytime he can pop up or, you know, it's it's more than one guy. Uh, anytime yeah. that, that creature can pop up on the cover, it's badass. And as far as the... Like the silhouette being more faded into the background, the thing that I preferred with the standard silhouette, the the black 
the filth black was the contrast between the reddish reddish orange sky or background uh, mm-hmm. with the character in the foreground and the black in the very background. So uh, mm-hmm. mid ground for the the color and then the black for the background. Now it really creates depth. Whereas the one you liked, it did have that ominous feel to it, but it felt more two-toned and kind of like, okay, you have your foreground and your background, and that was kind of it, where this had three levels of depth to it, and, and it just kind of pushed it a little bit more. Yeah, it's all great stuff, and I think one of the subtle things, too, is um, that that image that I had made a gradient, um, sorry, a semi-transparent, one of the reasons I made it semi-transparent is because I was so enamored with the main gradient of the cover, which is this really cool, like, sort of cherry red, almost, that fades into a soft white. And it's very much in line with the sort of pinkish hue that that um, is is unifying all of the covers that I'm doing for Volume 4. But what what's neat about it is, I think, the when I made that one image... Um, uh, silhouetted it really took away the the majesty of the color on the cover and what's neat about the image that you uh liked was that it takes up about the right half of the cover and uh for those of you that that like to get technical i the, the 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 gradient that looked the best was a radial gradient so what that means is it's whiter in the middle and then radiates out like ripples in a pond so the color is richer at the corners and i think that's why this cover really has a lot of pop to it because it's got this great soft red, like a pinkish red to it. And it's just, it's a dope color. And I played around with colors for a while to get that one. So it's its nice to have that be a, a kind of a main character on the cover, just the richness of that neat red that's there. So yeah, it was it was fun and um, it was good to see. And uh, and so I'm, I'm going to combine a few things because I have one more thing after this. You might have a bunch more. I don't no, know. I have okay. none. Okay, good. So I, I'll just keep on going then. But let me wrap this up. That uh, as you may have expected, Scott, uh, this launching Kadoja Kickstarter 3 and doing a test page for uh, issue number four has gotten me into issue number four mode. And so sure oh, enough, right I sat down and I actually did a very loose, and I mean very loose, scene skeleton of the stuff I want to happen. And then I did a thorough read of everything that came before it in Kadoja. So the first four volumes up to that point, because I needed to make a note of like, what things do I insist on resolving here or at least calling back to, to bring the story to a close? Because the, the next issue is the final issue, and I want to draw this issue to an, uh, a close in a satisfying way. As of right now, I, I feel satisfied with the stuff I'm including, but I still have to go out there and write the fucking thing. So uh, so we'll see how it goes. Right on, man. Yeah, it's so exciting like to know that you're this close to the finish line. And, um, you know, it's, it's a combination of thing. It's like, okay, you're excited to do it. There's going to be like a somber feeling, I'd imagine, once you do finish it. But also rewarding feeling feeling for how long you've worked on it and to finally get here to the finish line um, is, is, you know, awesome. It's amazing. And I know I'll feel that way when I get to, you know, issue 12 of Wanders of Melisanda, that title will be finished. Or even as I'm finishing up this big story arc for Second Shift, like these are the things that we've been building to. Mm-hmm. you know, where second shift will keep going on, but it's just like, dude, this is really the stuff that we've laid out and are really targeting for like quite a long time. So yeah. to finally get to it and work through it, I know I'll, I'll be excited and, uh, you know, can't wait to work on it. So I can imagine how you're feeling. 
No, yeah. I mean, you've you've nailed that feeling, you know, to 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 talk a little bit more on that. I I I think it's I'm gonna throw the analogy out there with the full understanding that the, this, you know, doing my story is a fraction of the other thing, okay? But when my kids were entering their their senior year of college, high school, whatever, this is the feeling that I get, you know? And, and especially this, like a year ago, when all of the kids were entering, you know, one was entering her senior year of high school and the other two were entering their senior year of college. It's a cool feeling as a parent, right? Because you just, you appreciate the journey. You appreciate how long this journey took. And while creating a comic is is not on the same level as you know getting a kid ready for you know the 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 adult phase of their life you, you know this comic has has gone on about 12 years and that's that's how long a kid's education goes on from grade 1 through 12 so i think that's that's pretty interesting to note and and to your point i do feel this you you can feel yourself on the brink of it and so to your point man yeah as i was writing this down and and got the couple of things I wanted to do, you know, I, and I'm sure I'll have this get this will hit hard when I finally do it, but I can already sense some of it. It's this idea of like, wow, this is the last time I'm ever going to do a Kadoja script. This is the first comic I ever did. So bringing this one to a close matters. You know, I, I, I'm sure creators feel this way about any comic they do, any series they do. But this series is, you know, it's going to end up being about um, 13 years total. To do 18 issues and and encapsulates me being a complete beginner at writing comics to someone who I don't know, I like to think I know a thing or two about writing comics, you know, so it's it's this awesome full circle moment. It's a full circle moment for the story. So, yes, you're right there. There have already been a few moments where I start to feel a little verklempt to use the uh, the Saturday Night Live term, and I'm sure it'll only be that way more. And who knows? Maybe I maybe I figure out a way to put some ceremony on this. When I'm when I know I'm going to finish the script and maybe I figure out a way to do something cool when I write that final script, you know, J.K. Rowling, when she finished the final Harry Potter novel, um, she rented out a hotel and all this stuff. Have I told this story before? I'm not sure. Okay, so quick, quick version, because I went on tours in Edinburgh. And uh, so, yeah, what 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 J.K. Rowling did when she was finishing the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows script is she rented this uh, suite in a hotel that she liked to write her novels in. And it was like a fancy suite because by the time she was writing number seven, trust me, the money was there. So so she was able to rent out fancy motherfucking suites and fancy motherfucking hotels for months at a time. Right. Because that's J.K. Rowling money right there. But she was. um, So I guess she was she she finishes. The end, the end, the end of fucking Harry Potter, right? And she's just overcome. She breaks down. She just starts crying, right? Like, like I did it. I brought it all home. You know, I, I, I can't believe it. Here I am. And, um, and then I guess what she does is she picks up a vase or something like that and writes, I finished writing the Harry Potter story here. J.K. Rowling, Right. And, and I think they she charged might... her for it. They're like, so, um, you vandalized this yeah. base. <laughs> so, so, and, and, well, that's what they would do for you and I, Scott. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for her, what they did was they kept it the same. They hammed it up and they made that the JK Rowling suite. 
Wow. And then they put a bunch of Harry Potter shit in it, and then they jacked up the room rate. <laughs> there you <laughs> right? go. So that's fucking see, smart. Brilliant. That's yeah, that is that is that is entrepreneurship right there. So mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, so might I might I rent a hotel room? I don't know, but I got a place I can go to really finish this script and and bring it home. And and that's a pretty fun idea. So we'll see. I I think there's a way to do this and maybe even bring it full circle to the mountains of California near where I live, where, of course, I finished um, almost a year ago as this episode airs my uh, my final draft of my first novel. But but is it my final draft? Because I have a third thing to talk about. (laughs) Well, let's let's talk about uh, uh you finishing up kadoja yeah for and sure you potentially uh you know renting a place or, or staying at a place mm. to do it now are you is that something you're going to do is is that you're doing it on your own are you bringing rachel up there are you going to try to do know. a creator's retreat yeah yeah well so look i i, I think it's it's time for me because this is going to be a lot of my life going forward anyway so we we bought a house up there um, mm-hmm. So we bought a house in the mountains of California, and uh, and so Scott knows about this place. And uh, I was there. Yeah, yeah, you were there because the place we went on the writing retreat all those months ago was that house. And um, and so when I do retreats in the future, so right now I'm sort of double double placing um but we have plans to move out of where we are because when you buy a house you really want to live in one place and that's going to end up being my future home up there in the in the mountains so um so yeah at the moment it's sort of a split time thing um but yeah to your point i i I think i think it makes a ton of sense to go up there i don't know yet i'm just thinking of this on the fly as we go you know because the the trick is going to be i have to be close enough to know when I am right. going to finish this. So, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the end of October is when I finish this. You know, comics aren't novels. I don't have to plan True. out three years in advance. I could just plan out three weeks. And if I'm writing the skeleton right now, then odds are I can be done with it maybe before Halloween and we see where it goes. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, you know, I, I set it up and do that pre work like you've talked about in other contexts so that. You know, the last eight pages of the novel or, or of the comic, sorry, uh, are what I do up there at the house and, you know, celebrate. Right. And and maybe Hell go yeah. back to that. I mean, the place that you've been, right. The lakefront tap room. That's that's becoming man. my 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 celebration place when it comes. To I was going to say, California. I was like, yeah, man, that, that little town right near your house that uh, uh, it, it was great. It was great to go over there. It was like, hey, let's take a break. And I went to this area and there's a lot of great spots over there. They have like a uh, like a wine room that they also sell beer. And I think there's mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they have a brewery or something like that. But they I know do. they do. Yeah. The, the wine yeah. place where where I freaked out somebody and you felt the need to talk them down. Like my friend's really not a dick. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, so I said, the, like, that is a lot of motherfucking wine right there. <laughs> right, they looked just so offended. And it was just <laughs> yeah. like, no, no. That's that was a compliment. And, was, and then they were and then right, they, they told you, like, it is a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, it yeah. is. like I'm looking at it. You know, it was this big, like, yeah. spiral display that they do for it, too. Right. Like, it's yeah, not, it was it's like not a, the way that you know, when you go to come out. Yeah. Right. It was like it's like when you go to a restaurant and they have like the tower of onion rings, but it was like a tower of wine glasses just filled yes. with a whole bunch of different wine. So pretty cool yeah. to look out. But, yeah, man, that's that's sure. a really fun spot. I need to get back up there. Um, we need to coordinate a time. I know you've mentioned it a couple of times and it's just a matter of figuring out the schedules and seeing how that all works out. But I, I would love it, man. It was, I had yeah. a great time up there. I was working on paradise Hills at that time. 
And it was the thumbnail stage of it all. And Mm -hmm. I was just having a rough go of it. So like the next time we go up there, I know I'm going to be in a groove and that way I can really focus and just bang some shit out. And so I'll feel even better when we finally take our break and go grab some burgers and some beers and just chill out for a little bit and then get back on it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so let me, let me bring this to a close with my third thing, which of course I just hinted at, which was this idea of, did I actually finish my first novel? And, uh, and, you know, Scott talked about this last week when I was talking about using the entire time with little imaginary finger pinchers as I was talking about the exact right things to do in my first novel and these changes to make that I was highlighting in red so that Mike can take a look at the very few changes I made, which, of course, is a tribute to Seth Graham Smith, who did that with Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So what happened with that was... When we started, when we recorded this last week, I had just started that. I believe I had done maybe, in terms of editing, gone through the first 40 pages of the novel and found some things to change. I got so obsessed with it, dude, that, you know, we, I didn't do it much uh, through the, uh, through the, after we, we talked that day. But the next day, I spent five hours on it. And the day after, I spent five more hours on it, maybe more. Maybe all day, on and off, until I was done with the edit. So one little thing led to another, and then I was like, oh, I mean, you know, again, it goes back to this novel, this novel quote. By the way, I found out it was from a French writer from maybe 100 or 200 years ago. A novel is a book of some length that has something wrong with it. Right. right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and so it goes to this idea of like there's there's always something wrong with a novel, even the best novels out there. And that, that you know, when you think of a novel, just think of like an elaborate kind of cat's cradle thread structure that you're extending. You, you take your hands and you move them all the way out as high as they can go. And you have these elaborate threads that are running the full full length from one finger to another across like four feet of space. And it's just thread after thread in the, you have to be so delicate with what you're doing. So I, I like the changes I've made. I was comfortable enough with the changes I made that I went ahead, you know, because when you when you change the whole book, you also change the first 10 to 30 pages. And so another thing I did uh, that I forgot to even mention until now was that I queried a whole bunch more agents and I went ahead and used this edit as part of my query, because when you change the whole novel, you change the first 10 to 30 pages. So we'll see what they say. You know, I, I feel good. This is my new and improved query letter, my new and improved synopsis, and this very slightly revised novel that I think has some good stuff in it. Um, I found myself very hesitant to sort of break too many threads. And, and the logic that I went with there was the first novel is, is the first novel. This is it. You know, like, can I, can I change 2% of it and feel good about myself? Yes. But if I change 5% of it, I'm going to change 30% of it, and then it's going to be a different novel. The first novel, you know, this, this goes back to that line. I think, I think we ended up looking up that it was like Mark Wade or somebody like that. Like, here's the book. I did it. I like it. I'll do better next time. That's it. That's like, I, and, and that was what the overriding thing that came out of doing this novel, making this edit, this infamous eighth edit, 
like the 36th chamber of Shaolin, the edit I thought I would never make, I ended up being very delicate with it because I'm comfortable in the fact that the first novel is simply the first novel. If that novel is not agent material, so be it. I self-release it. And, and we and we do the things that you and I have talked about that I know you you know you're privy to for all the changes that I would make the slight variations between going through an agent and going through invader because we have complete control over it mainly getting some art done and all that stuff so anyway I feel good about it I feel good about the changes I made I sent them off to Mike and we'll see what he says right on man yeah yeah you definitely you know do what you're comfortable with like if you feel like two percent is good then do 2%. If you feel like 5% is good, then do 5%. It's all on what you're comfortable with. And it's funny that you bring up the Mark Wade comment as, as far as like, you know, hey, I did the book. I like the book. I see where I could have done better. I'll do better next time. That is one train of thought, one theory on how to work. I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. With the conversations that we've had over the years on this podcast even about like, you know, second shift, like revising stuff, this and that, you know, there's, there's no wrong way to do this. And another famous creator that I can use as an example is Frank Frazetta. Mm -hmm. Frank Frazetta would repaint things. He would redo a painting from scratch because he didn't like one element of the previous painting, or he would work right on top of the old painting, depending on how much he was interested in that painting. Um, but there would be times where years would go by and he would repaint something because he would look back on it and like, I could have done that better. And I like, I find that I am in that camp more than I would like to believe I am. But the constant tinkering that I'm doing with second shift is proof perfect that that's how I feel. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's great to move on. And if you have the ability to go back and, and maybe tweak something that you did before, that's okay too. It's, it's all on how you feel about it. Do you want to just move on to the next project? Do you only want to move forward? You don't want to look back? Absolutely do it. No hesitation. Move on, move forward. Um, again, I am a have your cake, eat it too type of guy. I like to move on too. I like to work on what I like to work on. As soon as I'm done with the book, I start the next book. As anyone, anyone can tell by our schedule here, However, I'm constantly looking back at what I did before going, how can we make that better? How can we grow the fan base? How can we get people more excited about this book? What Mm -hmm. did I do before that I needed to do that I didn't do? Okay, we can go back. We can tweak some dialogue. That's one thing. Okay, I can add a couple of pages. Okay, I'll add their origin story in the front of four issues. That's going to make the story a little more interesting because you're bouncing around in time. That's always interesting to watch. That's always interesting to read. So... You know, there's different trains of thought, and I, there's no wrong way to do this. It's like getting into comics. Like they talk about breaking into comics. One person does it one way, and they almost seal off that way of doing it, and you have to think of a new way to break into comics. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that's a longstanding uh, saying or, or thought process on comic books. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just not the case. You know, like everything, everything is different. Things can be the same. You know, it's just... It's like, okay, one person got in this way, someone else got in that way. They didn't seal yeah. it off. They didn't. Yeah. You know, but but it's just kind of like, well, fuck, I tried that way and it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work for you. Yeah. But maybe a hundred other people did it and it worked for them. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's a case by case situation. And, you know, that's great that you're making those changes and they're making you feel good about the book. And you're like, well, my magic number is 2% and that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Then that's the right number. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Couple couple follow-ups that I wrote down here. 
you said earlier that like you like to move on, right? You like to kind of have your cake and eat it too, and you like to move on. My my question to you is, do you like to move it? I like to move it, move it. Move do it. I do I like to move it, move it? <laughs> do you like to move it, move it? Do we like to move, move it? it? I think we do. Anyway, uh, okay. So, so I'm glad you wrote that down. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. I wrote I wrote down actually that entire dialogue. <laughs> I just beamed it to Scott's brain. No, I you you said some really interesting shit there, and um, I wanted to mention that like you you look Frank Rosetta is repainting shit. Okay, and I suppose in terms of repainting a painting versus tweaking a novel, we are talking about similar scopes here because. Because the thing about it is, while a novel is huge, little changes are small. Dude, you have no idea how tempting it is to keep on making changes. And I think that's where it gets to this 2%, this this amount that I'm comfortable at. Like, I could tear down this novel, keep 50% of it, and keep on writing it. But it's like, I feel feel comfortable with the novel it is. And and I'm just going to go with that, you know? But um, but anyway, so that that was what I wanted to mention, that like, the temptation is so big because it's been a year. I've been soliciting agents for a year and 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 I've only solicited 50 some agents in that time. So those of you out there that have pros that you're looking to submit in terms of novels, again, the adage is don't ever submit to more than 10, maybe 20 at a time. And and one of the big no-nos is don't ever solicit to two people from the same agency at the same time. Mm. You don't do that. So as a result, when you factor in the fact that you should give agents six weeks minimum to get back to you, you find yourself soliciting 50 agents in one year. So this novel sits around and if it doesn't get, all of this is natural, right? It doesn't get representation. Is there anything I should change? Okay, I do this thing, I do that thing. And of course, I've gone through all that. Scott and I have gone through all that on the podcast. But anyway, so you make a great point. Everybody has their elements that they season to taste. Everybody has their percentage they're comfortable with. And at some point, you just got to let your work stand and move on to the next thing. You know, we've that's sort of a, a loose topic out there that we have that might be a main topic um, five, 10 episodes from now. So we'll see how it goes. But but there is a a wisdom to go ahead to going ahead and just finishing stuff and moving on to the next stuff. Um, so anyway, so with that, let's get to, hey, speaking of the novel, let's kick this right into a, a letter. So I'm going to go ahead and just read it from uh, from Nicholas Slover, who is a, a, a he contributes or he contributes a whole lot of cool, um, you know, emails and notes and stuff to the podcast. So I'm just going to read it here and you'll see that it's going to lead into our main topic. And I told him I liked it so much. We should make it a main topic. So, hey, Keith, I got to say, hearing you talk about plans for your novel, I am so stoked to get a copy of this when it comes out and check it out. So there we go. There's one sale right there, baby. <laughs> uh, okay, so then he says... Uh, get so awesome. rich. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to make so much money. Uh, okay. <laughs> also, I had a question for you guys. I was talking to a comic buddy of mine, and he was talking about a publisher of his, and I mentioned how I don't think I am very good at sending pitches. I was wondering from your experience, from your personal work and dealing with reviewing others, sorry, reviewing others' pitches, what do you think helps a pitch stand out? Should there be a good portion of pages completed, or does a pitch without art with a good synopsis hold its own weight? 
Love the show. Thanks for putting out dope content as always, Nick. So, yeah, I, I would say right off the bat, usually a pitch without art might not get you where you need to be. Yeah. Um, unless you're a name. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're already an established name, you can throw a pitch at a a distributor, at a comic brand or whatever, and they're going to go, yeah, go for it. You're whoever. Yeah. Neil yep. Gaiman. Yeah. Oh, my God. God damn it. You read my mind. I'm, I'm about to give a Neil Gaiman example. I'm actually going <laughs> to give a Neil Gaiman example. <laughs> Keith, I, I could have, uh, if you would have asked me, which author do you think I'm going to mention right now? I could have told <laughs> you it Neil was Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. And then Keith's going to lose his shit because he clearly has a Neil Gaiman example locked and loaded. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So it's all dependent if you're a name or not. So, you know, if you, if you don't have any art to go with it, you might look might get looked over. They might not even read your pitch. Uh, you know, I'm not too sure on that. I'm not a publisher myself and I haven't sent out my book to publishers. Um, you know, I'm just kind of working on my shit on my own. But Keith, maybe you can talk to that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But that was just my initial thought hearing uh, no art with your pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you you must indulge the Neil Gaiman thing. I've been combing through old wizards, and that's always a fun thing to do, because I think I may have found a future podcast topic or two um, from from those old wizards. But those old wizards are great because they really bring back this glory day of 1990s glut. <laughs> Right. Like like there are publishers in there that that just I mean, when you think about the publishers that were hot then and the publishers that exist now, the list is one. It's image. Everybody else, the hot publishers, the whatever. Hey, Malibu, Valiant, Techno. I'm coming back to Techno in a second. Um, And and a lot of the others, they're all gone now. Right. And and some of them have even begotten others. You know, Valiant was one of one of the gym shooter uh, era things. And then Defiant became a gym. Yeah, shooter Defiant. Thing, right. Mm-hmm. So. So. Um, but, Revora, but that was another one. Revora, that's right. That legend. Legend ended up being an legend. imprint. Right. Was an imprint that was of Dark Horse. Yeah. Imprint of Dark Horse. Right. Right. And so uh, anyway, so to so to bring it back to techno comics a little bit. One of Techno Comics's big things, and I think they had a second one too. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you Keith, remember? Do you hey, remember guy. the time that Keith drank a sixteen ounce ten percent beer and couldn't say words right? Let me tell you, Mister Gaiman, I have this idea. I have a comic brand called Techno, and I want exactly. you to put your name on this lizard guy. That's the comic that we're going to do. We're going to say, this is Neil Gaiman's Lizard Guy comic from Techno. (laughs) So you are are really not that far off because there is a comic. You can go find it in most dollar bins right now, I bet, called Mr. Hero, the Pneumatic Man. Mm. Neil Gaiman's, make no mistake, Neil Gaiman's Mr. Hero, the Pneumatic Man. Where do I find this short story of Neil Gaiman's that refers to Mr. Hero, the Pneumatic Man, you might ask? It doesn't exist because Neil Gaiman pitched it as an idea exactly in the way that Scott just mentioned at the, at the top of this whole thing. He probably pitched that as an idea. And then they're like, you're Neil Gaiman. Let's run with this. And then they hired all other like artists and writers and all that stuff to, to do it. Right. So when, you know, to bring it back full circle to what Scott said, when you're a top name, like Neil Gaiman, you can say a paragraph and people are probably going to want to turn it into something, you know, a, a movie that I make way too many references to, uh, Stephen King's lawnmower man, 
That comes from a short story that Stephen King did for about, I don't know, 12-page short story called The Lawnmower Man. And the movie has very little to do with his short story, The Lawnmower Man. But because it was adapted and turned into a whole thing, we just know it as Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. So anyway, um, that's that's fun to talk about, but it, it doesn't have shit to do with Nick's question. Right. So, uh, so, so Nick's, Nick's question, I'm going to distill it down here. And Scott did defer to me, um, for a little bit of, you know, for, for some of this, what makes a pitch stand out? Right. I think that's, that's the core of the question. That's for the people that, that downloaded this episode or listening to it. That's the thing that we titled it with. What makes a pitch stand out? So what I can tell you from the publisher perspective is dope art is number one. Dope art Dope art is always going to make a pitch stand out. And so that's why when we get back to, you know, Nick's specific question, should there be a good portion of pages completed or does a pitch without art with a good synopsis hold its own weight? A pitch without art with a good synopsis, it it can be, it can be the greatest story I've ever read. It's not a comic yet. And I think that's the problem. A good pitch and a synopsis and a, and, a, and a good synopsis without art is simply a good pitch and synopsis. Until it's turned into art, until it has an art component, it's not a comic yet. Uh, you know, we say it here on the podcast a lot. The art brings you there. The story keeps you. So yeah. when you send your your pitch to a studio, to a label – you're going to, they're going to check out the art. They're like, oh, this looks really good. All right, what's the story about? You know, Mm -hmm. if you don't have that art, then that's part of the component of a comic book that's missing and, you know, it's not as good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but it's like if an artist sends over their work and they they send a pitch and maybe they don't have, they have some character designs or something like that, maybe one or two interior pages and they just have, hey, this is what the story is about, but there's no dialogue on the page or anything like that. They're going to have a higher hit rate than a, a writer sending in something that has no art attached. Right, right. And and so now we're going to diverge a little bit into, let's let's just answer a question that's sort of hanging there, which is, if I have good words and a good synopsis, but no art, what can I do? Well, some publishers, hint, I'm part of one of them, are happy to connect you with artists that can help you turn your cool pitch and synopsis into something. Now, remember, it's got to be really good first. Like, we're, we're, we're only going to be matchmakers for something where we're like, we know this artist, they might be interested in, in taking on some paid work to, to make your comic happen if it's a dope comic. So we're happy to put, you know, to put people in contact with other people in the interest of getting a dope comic made. Um, and if we make that match, then we're hoping that, that the minimum you do is come to us first <laughs> down the road, right, when it's time to actually pitch publishers um, for, for a completed comic. But... It's going to be the art. And and to your point, Scott, or, or at least building on your point, writing can be edited very easily, right? Like you've said this before. I think there's that anecdote you talk about with Ed where Ed was like, the sign's wrong. And you're like, yeah, you're changing your lettering, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> right. I drew the fucking sign. All you have to do is like delete a few, hit a few delete keys and make your text match what I put on the sign. Right. So yeah, you nailed it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, but I mean, I, I think that's, that's also helpful in understanding this is a visual medium. Comics are a visual medium. So the visual component is going to be, need to be there in terms of a pitch. 
So that then kind of leads us, you know, I'm, I'm going to create my own path here to answer some of Nick's questions that I think are baked into what he's saying, which is, okay, well, what if you have like a proof of concept? What if you have five pages, 10 pages, something like that? That's great. A, a, you know, as Invader, we're going to come back to you and say, this looks great. When can I see more? And when can I expect the story to be complete? Because... You know, this is going to be the nature of pitching publishers in general. You're you're an unknown commodity. And by being an unknown commodity, you know, there are certain publishers out there, us included, that are happy to entertain ideas from any unknown commodity, right? Like you can pitch us cold. Um, unsolicited, I think, is the industry term. So that's a very great thing. But what it also means is, you know, the, the burden of completion is going to be on you. So you can give us five, 10 dope pages, and we're going to love it. But at the same time, we're going to ask, when is this done? When do you think it's going to be done? Because odds are, we're not interested in putting it in our, because then we get to the whole, when's it going to be in our release schedule? If we like what you you do, you then do the entire comics worth at that quality. We still need to see the final product or at least be very close to the final product and know how it ends to go from there. And I think I can give some specific examples. We have, oh my God, somewhere between a dozen and 18 projects in in our pipeline that we are working with creators on. And damn near everything I said is applicable to one of these creators. You know, we we have a creator that gave us 10 pages and we said, this is sick. When are you going to be done? Then we got a date and then we go from there. Okay, hit us up when you're done. You know, we had another creator that had maybe a five issue proposed series. They've done the first four and we're waiting to hear. So so I think they're eager to get it going on Invader, but we don't even know how it ends yet. You know, we don't need to see the art to issue five, but we have to know how it ends. So right. knowing how it ends is important. So, and and those are two things sort of at, I would not argue the extremes of the spectrum are pretty close, right? Five or 10 completed pages of text and art and then four entire issues completed, but we haven't even seen the script to let's say the fifth and final issue. So I think in a lot of ways you can sort of get the answer to your question out of that. What's important in pitching? If it's cool, then people are going to like it. But the more art you have, the more likely you know, the the higher success rate you're going to have because the publisher can actually see the art. And this is not just us, right? Like Image has a Image and Dark Horse I think have a very similar thing on their submissions part of their website. They say, you know, you can submit a small portion, but you have to give us the agreement when you submit this portion that this artist and writer team are going to be consistent throughout the entire series and then you're going to give us a date when it's done. This is this is just the industry standard for everyone. So please, you know, make dope shit. Give out the few pages you can give out. But there's going to have to be an understanding there of like, if you're giving us 10 pages with this artist and this writer, and it's this quality, then the entire comic, the entire series, whatever it's going to be, is going to be of that quality. And we're only going to put it out when it's, you know, 95 to 100% complete because... We have all been burned. I'm telling you, every single publisher out there has been burned when they get three issues of a five issue limited series and um, and release it. 
And I, I don't think I'm being blasphemous here when I talk about, and, and I got to triple check this, but from what I remember, okay, let's do this. I'm not going to mention the comic. There's a comic that Scott and I both like. When I remember it originally being pitched in the first issue, it talked about a five issue series. I read issue one, I loved it. Read issue two, I loved it. Scott and I both loved it. We talked about it. Read issue three, I loved it. Issue four didn't come out. And it didn't come out. And it didn't come out. And it did not come out. Eight months later, issue four finally came out. Maybe even longer. And instead of it being a five-issue series, it was a four-issue series. And the ending felt abrupt. Right. So I can tell you that this happens to the big publishers because this happened to a big publisher. I'm not going to name the publisher and I'm not going to name the comic, but you know, you don't have to know much to extrapolate what was going on there. Right. So this is why it's so important to, to set yourself up for success, which calls back a very recent episode of ours. Setting yourself up for success also means having the whole book ready and having a plan on what you're going to do with the whole book and just having the book done when you're going to have it done. So anyway, I think I think in a lot of ways, we've really answered that question on a lot of fronts. Nick, I hope that helped. Scott, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in there? Yeah, for your pitch, um, you know, like you said, it's got to be cool. If it's cool, then people are going to like it. You know, something that I noticed doing conventions is the high concept, you know, like mine and Keith's elevator pitch, quick elevator pitch, those seem to get a lot of attention. So you need to figure out what the essence of your book is. And those are the things that you need to hit in those pitches. You know, like for me, I I've noticed fans get really excited when I talk about Wanders and Melisanda, you know, a thousand years in the future, humans start colonizing other planets. You know, they come across the planet Melisanda where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. That usually does not work out. So the idea of that is like, oh shit, humans and dinosaurs at the same time and they're both intelligent. How's that shit going to work out? Usually doesn't. Okay, that gets them hooked right away. They're like, oh, okay, cool. So if your story is high concept, lean into that. Say it's, you know, it's like, hit the high points of it if they want a comparison like we talk about it's just like you know wanders of melisanda is uh, avatar the last airbender meets he-man you know with a little splash of a cure in there so you know there's there's certain things that you need to hit um in your story those are the things that you need to accentuate in those pitches and it'll be more intriguing to publishers to want to read it want to publish it and uh, pick up that series yeah i mean you make a great point and, and I, I will, you cannot underestimate, don't think it's easy to come by. You know, we, we mentioned this on one of the episodes, one of the more recent episodes about how a lot of our really good pitches, more than half have come from other people, right? Um, and, and for me, I mean, I just figured out my animals pitch. I wrote that fucking thing years ago. But there's writing it, there's making it, and then there's understanding what a good short pitch is. I'm not sure I've even under, I've even figured out the pitch for my first novel yet. I'm not sure. And, and I don't think it's there yet. And that's something I need to focus on. And that is something that I feel has cost me agents saying yes to my first five pages. Because I don't think I've understood my pitch enough. Because look, I wrote a fucking novel. Yo, recognize. 
That 9% is kicked in, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, agents deal with a whole lot of people who have written that novel and understand their pitch. So it's something I still struggle with. And it's something like what Scott is talking about there in terms of really developing some some pitches that, that, that are good. You know, just remember you're pitching everybody and and writing it and making it are awesome, but you still have more work to do. And, you know, right now. Scott and I come from a place of really understanding our pitches, but we're talking about pitches on, you know, multi-year old or decade old properties that we had to walk our way to. Scott and I have known each other this whole time. And our pitches have not always been this clean. You know, we have fumbled our way through these pitches. We've said clumsy examples of it. And and if there's any way, you know, that 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 you can take this knowledge that we are telling you and and devote the energy right now to really pitching your stuff, even in spare moments of your time, I think it's going to pay off. Right. And and those kind of things, you know, bringing it back to Nick's question, first paragraph that you send to like a publisher we can tell when you've like really figured out your elevator pitch to a book. And it's like, I mean, we will always remark, like, did you see the one that was like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, man, that's a really cool premise. So that work pays off every single time. You know, is this week's quote, is it you or is it me? I think it's you. Okay. All right. So if you guys don't listen to the whole episode, you guys are missing out. So I'm going to do my quote for the week. Yeah. And it is really appropriate. A lot of people don't understand the difference between plot and story. When you ask people what their story is, they start giving you the plot. They go, they go here, then they get a horse, dot, dot, dot. No, that's the plot. What's the story? What's it about? Jim Valentino. Mm-hmm. So that that applies here. You need to really understand what your story is about. So when you're giving this pitch to publishers... You need to really understand what you're saying to them. Don't tell them what's going on in the story. Don't tell them the plot of the story. What's the story about? What's the essence of the story? Now, mm-hmm. I think in this particular instance, what Jim Valentino was talking about was Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Jim Valentino wanted to know what the story was about. Robert Kirkman didn't know how to answer that question. He kept telling them the plot of the story. Now, what Jim Valentino said is, and this is pretty famously known, that The Walking Dead kept getting turned down by Jim Valentino, who at the time was the publisher of Image Comics. And he had to lie to Jim saying, oh yeah, well, the twist is there's there's zombies, but aliens are actually the one that created the zombies. And it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, let's go with that then. That's a good, interesting twist. We'll, we'll publish this, right? The zombies never came. Jim goes, hey, when's the, when the, one of the zombies coming in, Robert Kirkman said, yeah, I lied to you. There's no, there's no aliens in this story. And what Jim Valentino said was, if Robert Kirkman told me the story is about a father and son trying to survive in the zombie apocalypse, I would have published the book. But he didn't understand the difference between the plot and the story. And he kept telling me the plot of the book. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it's funny, right? Because I, I love that. I love that, per, that, uh, that anecdote. 
you first mentioned it on Making Comics a while back. I give it to people uh, when it comes up in conversation and, and it's appropriate. And uh, it's it's great because it's 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 it so much applies. And even as you were talking, I was thinking like, okay, what pitches of mine are, are fine with this? And and I think again, it maybe we're getting too deep into pitch here, but you you do have to understand what your what your pitch is. Sometimes that is going, you know, like the interesting thing about The Walking Dead is that a father, you know, whatever, and son, is that right? I don't know. Father and son. Mm-hmm. A father, father and, and son, son surviving the zombie apocalypse. Surviving the the zombie apocalypse does dial into The Walking Dead. It is a character-based story and it has zombies. That doesn't mean your pitch has to fit that mode. You know, like me describing Kadoja as giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft is an accurate way to describe that story. Could I talk about the lead Jenny Cruz? I could, but I feel like the story is still giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft, right? In, in terms of the pitch, right? So, you know, like I could meander because then as I talk about Jenny Cruz, guess what I'm talking about? The plot. And that's not what we want to talk about. What's the story? What's the thing that's going to sell? Right. So I, I think that's that's a super cool quote and a super good way to work that into to one of my favorite anecdotes that you've shared on the podcast. Yeah. And with that is bullshit time, son. Let, let's get silly. What, what do you got? You got shit? I got a lot of stuff, actually. Um, hey, too. the first thing that I'll bring. The bullshit that I'll bring to you, it relates to relatively to what we were talking about, because it involves your boy, Neil Gaiman. Um, I was listening to Rob's Observation, which is Rob Liefeld's podcast. He did a three-episode series on Neil Gaiman versus Todd McFarlane. Are you familiar with this? No. Neil Gaiman, back in the 90s, I think he did issue number nine, which introduced a character called Angela. Angela. Okay, yeah. So now I know. he introduced yeah. uh, Angela and Cogliostro, which was like some old man. He had to do with the demon Angel War. He had mm-hmm. some a lot of insight, etc. He was like the Obi-Wan, essentially, of, of, of that world. Um, so Neil Gaiman created all of this background, this depth to the Spawn universe, and Todd did not offer him a contract. And it was like Todd's understanding it was work for hire, where... Neil Gaiman was like, hey, I co-created I co-created these characters. I added this depth to the world. Hey, I would like to be compensated for that or, or have a contract saying so. Mm-hmm. And um, so the episodes deal with that and the court cases that went on between the two over essentially a decade. Now, mm-hmm. it is fucking fascinating. So if you like Neil Gaiman, which I know you do. This is definitely worth a listen because it really paints the picture of what took place and of character rights and creator rights. Um, and, and so that was such a fascinating thing because image was built on people, artists wanting their their own rights to their own creations. Mm-hmm. And here we go where Todd McFarlane is not offering a contract saying, hey, yeah, you co-created these characters with me. I drew them. You you described who they were, etc. And then I drew them and, and, and hey, so we're co-creators. They didn't do that. And it's just like, what the fuck? That goes against everything that Image stands for. So why didn't this happen? So mm-hmm. it's it's such an interesting series of episodes that he had released. So um, if you have not listened to them yet, go check it out. It's Rob's Rovations, R-O-B-Zervations. So yeah. uh, look that up. It's a very popular podcast. Um, if you're not a big fan of Rob Liefeld, he, 
he doesn't have a lot to do with this, so his input really isn't there. He just talks about what's going on. He actually mm-hmm. reads stuff from the court hearing itself, so it's very fascinating. He does it in a really interesting way, so um, I enjoyed those episodes, so check those out. Yeah. And um, the second thing I wanted to do, how many things you got? I got like three. I have, let's go with two. Okay. Go ahead, you go then. All right. I bought shit. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. Get and money. and so or see this money. is this is to everyone out there. May I make one bit of advice? May I offer one bit of advice? Don't do a podcast with Scott Lost. <laughs> because Scott Lost is going to influence you to buy things. Would you like to guess what you influenced me buying before I say anything? Mm, let me see. Let me see. I think it's something Mike Mignol related, and I think it's something big. On our last episode, I think it was the last episode, it must have been, you mentioned that when I was in Ides, and I said, oh, I passed on Batman Adventures, and you're like, I'd have grabbed those. Ah. And then it fucked with my mind, Scott Lost. So I ended up finding a cheap eBay lot that got me eight comics of Batman Adventures for about three bucks a book. So oh, yeah. I got, I don't know, it was like 1, 2, 6, 7, 9, 11, 12, 15, 16, something like that, right? But it's a good start. And so, God damn it, you know, you got in my head and I was like, mm, fuck, here I am. <laughs> I could have just bought those fucking things in Ides, but I didn't. So uh, so I, I did. I, I grabbed a lot. I have my eye on a few more lots. And now that I'm kind of putting this out in the world, I'm putting the clock on myself. But right. the nice thing about Batman Adventures in general is that the first 25 uh, issues are 3 to $4 a piece, with the exception of issue 12, which is through the roof, because that is the per- first appearance of Harley Quinn. That is not a book I'm interested in getting right now, right? So I'll, I'll get every one but number 12, and then I'll go from there. So anyway, I did, I did grab that, so that was the first thing. And to your point, yes, uh, you, you correctly guessed the Mignola, but in fairness, you were cheating because I consulted you for a, a, a question oh, that's right. on Mignola. No, right. I actually so you, spaced yeah, on that. Yeah, you forgot you were cheating, right? See, that's two beers yeah, for yeah. you, baby. Yeah, so, uh, so what I consulted Scott on was, like, this is such a great place to be when you are interested in all things Mignola because you can start anywhere. It's like the anything of collecting, right? It's easy to start collecting when you don't really have anything. So right now I have like four BPRDs. I have BPRD like 1946 or something like that, like a four issue limited series. So I can get anything else. I can get any Hellboys I want. I can get whatever. So what I did was I found an auction on eBay of 20 comics, 20 comics that were about 23 bucks. But then there, it was like $22 of shipping. So I was like, I don't know, man. So I ran that by you. So then what happened was, they, you know, long story short, they lowered the price. I went back and forth on it. But even though the shipping was high, it still worked out to, I think, less than $2 a comic when it came down to it. It was like 20 comics for 37 bucks. That's a great enough place to start. That's pretty much dollar bin. I mean, that's $2 bin comics um, for days. So that's a great place to get going. And now I'll just keep looking and cherry picking. But the nice thing about Batman Adventures and uh, BPRD and Mike Mignola stuff is it it lends itself much better to in-store dollar bin hunting and, and bin hunting than it does eBay. 
um, because none of this stuff is premium, and you can just keep hunting for it and and find some stuff. And uh, and as luck would have it, I kind of found through, and I had bought a Hellboy trade paperback um, when I was at a book off years ago with you. So I've I dug that out, and I can read that uh, because you know this is what collectors do, right? They they buy shit, and then they get so overwhelmed that they put it in storage, and then they forget they even had it in storage. And that's going to tie to my second thing, but uh, but I wanted to at least mention that thing first. So while you're talking, let me let me double check. Let me see. What the fuck is that page? Aha! So I have BPRD one and oh. two. Wow. Hardcovers, Plague of Frogs. Yeah. These are monster hardcovers, party people. Signed by the guy himself, Mike Bignola. Yeah. yeah, did you so get those signed? Was that one of the ones I you did, got signed yeah, in person. person? Okay. Yeah, I got him signed in person at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, probably 2016, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he used to attend San Diego all the time. He never has a line, or he never had a line. Uh, yeah. he, he was wicked famous. The Hellboy yeah. movies were out. He was making Hollywood money. Never had a line. We walked by, he was just sitting there doing nothing every single yeah. time. So one day I was like, okay, what do I have Mike Mignola at home? Mm-hmm. I had these two hard covers of BPRD Plague of Frogs 1 and 2. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bring those. I'm going to have him sign those. And then um, I had passed by a, a – it was like a prop prop booth or like some kind of Halloween shit or something. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. But they had a Hellboy hand, like a foam Hellboy hand. Like it's a, yeah. like a hard foam Hellboy. And, and, and uh, I had him sign that. I, I bought that. I, I was like, I, I told my buddy, I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go and buy that, that Hellboy hand and then I'm going to bring it to Mike Mignola and have him sign it. And he did. Mm. So like, those are my two, uh, two awesome things or three, I guess. So there's two volumes of that BPRD. Um, and it was great interaction. He was super cool. Cool as hell. Yeah. Happy to sign the stuff. You know, he's great. He was just happy to talk to people, I think. And uh, I really liked those moments. Yep, and uh, I apologize if I'm repeating myself somewhere within making comics continuity, but goddammit, we've had 150-plus episodes. Um, I have a similar Mignola story, because at Big Well Comic Fest, right around then, 2016, whatever, I was walking around. This was before I was even tabling there, and uh, Mike Mignola's just standing there. And it's like, I I told my buddy at the time, because we were just walking around, I was like, why is Mike Mignola just standing there? I'm like, let's go up to him. And it was like, hey. And and I think, you know, I I made the sort of mistake of going like, why is no one at your booth? You're awesome. (laughs) You know? And I think he was like, I don't know. And I was like, what do you have? He's like, I got this sketchbook. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take one of those. Yeah. So I I got this this. dope ass sketchbook and he signed it. In fact, I just came across that while I was going through my comics. So just so cool. Like you said, so cool to talk to. But what's fascinating about this to me is I'm really appreciating him now. Again, I expect... Given how much I, you know, it's one of those things of like, okay, I've read this of his and I've read that of his. I read a novel that he co-wrote and I really enjoyed it. It's like, I like everything this guy does. I like his sensibilities. I like the way he thinks. So the irony is that I have these historical episodes of meeting Mike Mignola without really fully appreciating the majesty of Mike Mignola, you know? So um, I'm, right. that's going to probably end up being more and more interesting the further I get out from it. And the more things of his I read, I'm like, this guy's fucking amazing. Why Why was I so late to the game? But that's the fun path of a comics collector. You just never know, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, can, it can get released today 
or it could have gotten released 40 years ago. But if you're finding out about it for the first time, we only carve a tiny little swath through all of comicsdom and no matter how much you read there's always more, more cool shit out there that you've never heard of so yeah really absolutely. excited to, to dial into this um anyway so you said you had a, so we're just to your second bullshit thing right yeah okay i'll stick on the buying thing um and i have a a, a comic um a recommendation for my third so my second thing uh buying shit so uh, i've talked about it before the there's a couple of groups on Facebook. One is like uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe Comic Swap, which is a great resource for picking up books. And did you get your acceptance into that group yet? I did. What the? What the I got rejected. I got rejected. I think there was a glitch. I got rejected, and the and the the admin put you didn't answer all the questions. There's two questions. It's like who are the hosts, and will you not be a dick? And I answered both of those, and then somehow it just didn't go through so i tried it mm. again and that was two days ago and i still haven't been accepted to it so interesting this is a, yeah, they I have know, this some is, this funky is... spelling they were like who are the hosts and they have their name spelled a couple of different ways mm-hmm. one's the correct way one's not so hopefully you pick the right one yeah i mean same thing Jim happened Ruggin, to steve ed, ed piscor i mean i know how to spell ed piscor's name you know right so, yeah and like jim anyway. rugg is with two g's yeah uh, it's with two g's same I, thing I got it right to, the first time yeah 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 same thing happened to stat boy steve he he I, I shot him the link and he goes, yeah, I, I answer the questions and they still haven't approved me. I don't know what's going on. So I sent yeah. him the invite again. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're full. Until... Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they're full or what? But, yeah. but, um, yeah, between that and the Eric Larson Savage Dragon group, man, I have filled a ton of holes in that, that comic book run. So I am actually only 35 issues away from completing the run. Chip yeah. away. Dude, it was like a hundred plus i think you know like maybe at the beginning of this year so i only have 35 issues left it's amazing i just got another 12 issues in the mail today um at a great rate like at a discounted rate it was like 550 to six bucks an issue including shipping that's what that's what the shipping included so i was just like yeah like these are very expensive books so i'm I'm chipping away at that. And then plus on that, uh, um, the comic swap, people were selling a couple of books. Like there was X-Men Grand Design. There was four issues mm. for, I think, two to three bucks a piece. Mm. And I was like uh, claiming all of those, please. So I will take yeah. all of it. It was like four issues for 10 bucks. It was like three nice. bucks a piece or four for 10. I was like, yeah, yeah, four for 10. Let, let, let me get yep. those. Give me that. Um, I yep. got a graphic fantasy, which is like Eric Larson's reprint of his second story with Savage Dragon that he created. Mm-hmm. And it got that for $2. And then uh, Copra, which is uh, Michelle Fife's title. And I got those for like a buck a piece. And so I was okay. like, okay, let, let me grab all that shit. So great prices on, on that group. And I'm glad uh, they accepted me in there. And man, like everyone's pretty trustworthy so far. No one stiffed me. I sent You send over the, the PayPal in mm-hmm. hopes you're not going to get fucked over. And then uh, the books show up. So it's really, yeah. really awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think in a weird way, that ties into my second thing, <clears throat> which... I just sort of got obsessed about this yesterday. Um, so as as I just mentioned, um, I have a move in my distant future. In uh, in about seven, eight months, I'm going to be moving. And that means I'm going to be downsizing. And uh, and that means I'm going to have to make some choices. And, and what better time to make choices than right now, especially when you can possibly make some money or have some trade barter. So I just, I got obsessed with the whole Marie Kondo thing, 
right? Like if it, if it brings me joy, keep it. If it doesn't bring me joy, get rid of it. And I went through my books, my comics, and all of the toys and tchotchkes I have. And I was able to really whittle those down. I have a lot of books that I'm going to go ahead and donate to the local library and just get a receipt for um, and do some other stuff. But, but here's what I wanted to talk about. Over here, I have a to-be-read box. It's a short box. It is less than half of the size it was yesterday because I had two to-be-read short boxes. Mm. But there was something about looking at those boxes and even looking at my to-be-read shelf that made me feel very tight in the chest. And, and so I was asking myself, like, why am I feeling tight in the chest on this? And it's because it's too much. How can you possibly expect to get joy out of your shit to read when it's too much? And so I evaluated what, what was driving the too much. And so when I look at my to-be-read pile, there are three kinds of comics there. The first is comics I've just bought or comics that are current. I tend to do pretty well on those. The second are comics that I either bought cheap, like dollar bin, $2 bin throw-ins, or I was just in a shop and felt like buying it. And then I told myself like, okay, yeah, read this at some point. And then the third kind are comics that I was given, right? Because remember back last year, I went to see my buddy in Houston and he gave me what amounted to like one and a half short boxes of comics. I'd have taken more, but it was all I could fit in my luggage. So when I was looking at that though, the problem is it creates this swell of like to be read that you don't truly have desire for. So I made this huge decision and I said, we're going to do an amnesty pass right now. I'm going to go through my entire comic collection. Okay, so let's go with the to be read file first, the to be read pile. For the to be read pile, if I was given it, or, or, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention there was another kind of thing that I bought, which was, because that was technically only the first thing, it was a series that I had remembered liking, got rid of, and decided I wanted again for, like, possible future story purposes, because it's like, I like this story, I like this thing about this story, I'm going to keep this around in case I want to consult, consult it, and by the way, I'm going to read it at some point. So what I decided to do was for the for the sto- the stuff that I had rebought of a story I'd read before, maybe not all the issues, but close, and for the stuff that I was given or I bought cheap, I was just going to file it. That's it. I'm filing it. Someday I will come back to it if I want. When I get my to be read pile completely done, then I could be like, oh, let's dig in my own collection again and see what I can find. So that's a, a, a bet on me for the future. But more importantly, it doesn't make me feel all tight when I'm looking at my to-be-read pile right now. Now, I still did pick out the greatest hits of stuff. It's like, no, I can't wait to read this. I may have been given it, but I need to fucking read this, right? So I have my to-be-read. Yeah, that's the stuff that goes closer to the top, you know? It's like, if you're excited to read it, then it's on the top of the to-be-read pile. Exactly. So if I'm excited to read it, it's here. It's basically a short box still with a tiny little stack of current comics on it, but at least it gives me some ambition. You know, it's, it's like a stretch but not strain goal. Right. Like I can I can get with that and and I can, you know, go through it and really enjoy some of the stuff I'm reading. So that was kind of part one. Part two is if I'm filing all this stuff and my space is finite, maybe I should go through my existing comic book collection and ask the same question. Does it bring me joy? My specific question I asked myself was, is there any percentage chance 
that you, Keith, are going to want to either cons- like that you're going to want to consult this comic because you're like, oh, what was that story that had that thing in it that I could spin out into my own idea for my own compost heap, right? So if if there was a any percent chance of that happening, it stays in the collection. The other kind of comics that stay in the collection are the ones that I simply love, right? So like Fantastic Fours ain't fucking going anywhere. Doctor Strange ain't going anywhere, son. Firestorm, I'm keeping all that shit, right? I don't I don't care how good or bad it is. I'm not here to make judgments on that. It brings me joy by simply existing, right? So anything that's like the no doubters, it's the no doubters plus the stories that I plan on consulting or that I just like having around because I like having the comics. So it was fun. It ended up taking the better part of a day when I went through it, but I feel so much better. I'm going to continue the cycle and just give a lot of these things, books, comics, whatever. And I did the same thing with books and toys. Um, and I'm just going to give them to the local library and I'm going to write them off and that's going to be a nice little donation. So, you know, if, if any of you out there have found yourself in a position like that, then I'd encourage you to do it. But I feel great because not only does it give me a, a reasonable goal to attack, but um, it makes space for these future things that I know are coming my way, right? Like I'm excited to read Mignola stuff. So let me be excited. Let me figure out where I want that in the to be read stack. Hell yeah. Um, let me check out those comic books before you donate them, by the way. Maybe you donate them to your boy. All right. Um, so <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Com- I forgot to mention. I have one, one point three, one, one, one and a quarter short boxes over here that are that I believe have some sort of value or trade value that I am just waiting to get approved to this fucking group so I can have them oh, as possible yeah. barter. You're like, I have yeah. variant copies of Nice House on the Lake number one. I have a run of Dark Horse Star Wars. I have like that kind of stuff. Somebody's going to find that valuable in terms of trade, sure. so I'm going to keep that around. The other stuff that's going to get donated probably doesn't have much value to anybody, right? So anyway. Right on. But yeah, cool. good stuff. Uh, my comic book recommendation, this is my last thing, my comic book recommendation, I just read it, I picked it up on a whim, I love the artist Felipe Andrade, um, it, he did uh, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, I, uh-huh. I think you read that one as well, right? Loved it. Uh, so I loved that story, I loved the art on it, and so I was at the shop, it was a slow week, a short week, uh, as far as books that I collect, and I saw Rare Flavors, which is by written by Ram V., and art by Felipe Andrade and or Andrade. And it's it's really good. It's a weird combination of a story mixed with a food comic. Huh. So like if it, you're into making things, there are sections of the comic where the character is really into food. The main mm-hmm. character is into food. So then he starts talking about how to make that food or to make that drink or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so those things I'm, I'm less interested in. I read a little bit of it, and I was like, oh, okay, so he's just basically just literally describing how to make this thing. All right, I'm going to skip those panels. But um, it goes back and forth between how to make the thing and with the character itself in, in the main story. So most of it is the main story. There's a small percentage that is the thing of how to make. So um, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited for the next issue. I'm going to put it on my pull list. Um, and I would imagine this is a short story. Probably th- this couldn't last any more than five, six issues, something like that. So um, if you guys like Felipe Andrade, uh, look him up if you have not seen his stuff. It's uh, F-I-L-I-P-E. Last name is Andrade. A-N-D-R-A-D-E. His stuff is fantastic. And uh, if you dig his art, definitely worth checking out. 
Hell yeah, man. Very cool. I'm I'm going to the shop tomorrow. So I man, I have like a month's worth of shit to get. So it's a bit nice. daunting, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Yeah, I've been going every two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well that that makes that makes the purchases manageable. When you go as, as infrequently mm-hmm. as I go and I need to get better at it, it's just like, oh my God, that's how much I'm spending on comics and and you don't have the room to explore and be like, that's oh, the I thing though. Check that out. It it's a big it's a big chunk of change at, change at once, but it's actually better because you're yeah. like, I'm spending so much money, I can't even check the shelves out. It totally. was literally a slow week. I think I had, here's the fucked up part. It was a slow week. I ended up still spending $50 because Transformers yeah. number one came out yep. and I'm a sucker for variant covers. I, if the art is good, I'm picking it up. Yep. So I ended up getting like five Transformers number one and um, like plot holes number two. I got two different covers for that. And then uh, uh, this book, Rare Flavors. And so like I ended up spending $50 somehow and I I think I had three or four different titles and that was yeah. it. Yeah, man, I hear you. I hear you. Good. Yeah, crazy shit. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. But it's also interesting that when I was going through my comics and finding out which ones don't bring me joy anymore, a lot of them were the kind of books that I wandered around the store and I'm like, ah, let me try this. <laughs> right? Turned out to be not good. Or not my jam, right? More importantly. Not not saying it wasn't good. It wasn't my jam. Um, right. So hey, let's, let's bring this on home. So you can find me on Instagram nope. at Keith... Nope underscore rating these goddamn beers go for it <laughs> all right um so i have sierra nevada oktoberfest festa beer six percent 12 ounces and this was good i enjoyed it it was a it was a solid seven i had no issues with it, it there was nothing about it that was just like man i can't wait to try this again but i i did enjoy it it wasn't just a average it was like above average so i would say a solid seven and if you've never had sapporo before i definitely did have the sapporo after i finished this bad boy Mm -hmm. i love sapporo sapporo for me is a really strong lager a japanese lager Mm -hmm. it's right up there with the harlan brewing company i mean it's made in japan so i hope they know what the fuck they're doing so it's an eight yeah and and uh sapporo kirinichiban uh what else Mm -hmm. there's a couple others like that singha um yeah. Boy, with sushi. Oh, with sushi, yeah. my friend. You know, yeah. I think I, I just like, had a big-ass bottle that... of it with mm-hmm. uh, with sushi last Friday night. It was all, oh, fuck, so perfect. So perfect. Yeah. And, like, just, like, on a hot day, which, like, it, the weather's been hella weird here in San Diego. Yeah. Some Like, last week it was rainy and cool all week. It was kind of nice. I was like, cool, we're moving into, like, the winter months or whatever. And then, like, then it was hot as fuck the next week. And I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Goddamn global warming! You're fucking everything up. God I'm trying to enjoy some stouts over here, and I then now I'm busting these loggers back out because it's goddamn hot. I know. I'm 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 getting ready for stout season. I have a few that I've put in the uh, cellar that I'm gonna rock soon, and uh, and then a few more. So yeah, man, we're we're just gonna go so hard in the paint with stouts this year. I'm gonna be excited. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so speculous cookie butter beer. It's a seven this time. I don't know. It's right around there. It's fine. It seems to get one half thing lower every time i drink it <laughs> so uh, so maybe i just keep it around for a while on the back burner um but I, I i wanted the buzz and you can't fuck with the buzz it's it's great right you've you've just listened to me this entire podcast you know how good it is um so now it's time for me to get to my shit keith underscore invader i am talking about uh you know photos of me that i hate posting but people seem to like um books i'm reading stuff i'm doing and of course all the books i do um i have keith rfoster.com as my website. But more importantly, we are about halfway through the Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three Kickstarter right now. So if you haven't grabbed your copy, grab it. It's got 
there's all kinds of cool packages there. Um, you can you can start with this current issue. You can start with volume four. You can go whole hog. And there are three variant, um, three different covers on this, I should say. There's the main cover by me, which we've talked about this episode. There is uh, the variant by Carlo Romero, a very killer Kadoja versus sort of tentacle monsters image. And of course, the inimitable Scott Lost throwing a Fantastic Four 49 reference at that ass for this issue. And of course, we're going to have your typical fun making comics podcast inspired interiors once that thing comes out. So there's only a week left to back that thing. Get on it and uh, and, and grab some comics. Oh, yeah. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter, Instagram and threads. Um, hey, it's Drawtober. Make sure you're liking these posts, like check everything out. I actually have a highlight reel. If you click on my Instagram page right at the top, uh, right under the profile stuff, there are a bunch of circles and each one of those circles has all my Drawtober projects as well as like Wanderers covers and uh, Second Shift covers. So make sure you check those out, like those things, um, you know, like all of the stuff on our on our uh, uh, our social medias. We greatly appreciate that. And facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can find me there as well um i already did the quote for the week so you already did the quote to, yeah hey, five the fivenest starsinest motherfuckingest podcast not only on this planet but in this solar system in this galaxy in this universe and in all the multiverses trust me mm-hmm. i've been there i've listened to the variant podcast that scott and i do in other dimensions this one is the best one you're welcome Congratulations. You're in the best timeline with the best version of this podcast. That deserves five stars and some nice words. Do it. It's true. I seen it. Um, and you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you heard in this episode that you loved and you want to tell us about or something you hated in this podcast. Uh, keep it to yourself. Just kidding. Go ahead and hit us up at the makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and we will get back to you. Well, we'll uh, read and it. Appreciate we'll read, if you, if we'll you read it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we'll appreciate that. I mean, we're open minded. We're open minded. Right. That doesn't mean we'll get back to you. We're, I mean, if, if you're really crass. And you throw some of that shit at us, then, you know, we're going to leave you hanging on red. All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, so we did it. We did it. I've queued up the brand new outro music. Um, hope you dig it. And uh, and Scott and I will see you next week. Yeah, yeah.